Hello everybody, this is Paul Jeffries, and yes, this is my podcast, and welcome to it. On this week's episode, we're going to take a look at celebrity deaths. Uh, October wasn't a great month for celebrity deaths, and uh, we're, we're going to talk about that a bit. Is it uh, normal to mourn celebrity deaths? Well, quite a few experts think it is. Also, tipping. It seems that tipping culture has increased quite a bit in the uh, past few years. Now, is it starting to get out of hand? There's a lot of people out there that uh, believe it is. Seems like just about everywhere you go nowadays, a tip is expected or in some cases even required. So we're going to dive into that subject a little bit too. Also, the guess who? It seems as though a uh, recent lawsuit is causing a bit of a kerfuffle among the bandmates. So we're going to talk about that. Also, uh, Peacocks on the Rooftop and UltimateClassicRock.com votes for the 20 worst videos. Well, last month was certainly a lousy month for uh, celebrity deaths. Uh, we lost uh, Suzanne Summers, uh, also Richard Mall from uh, Night Court, and probably the uh, most uh, shocking shocking and the one that took most of us by surprise was uh, Matthew Perry at the very young age of 54 who we lost uh, very suddenly and uh, this actually brings up the uh, topic of uh, celebrity deaths now a lot of us feel uh, sadness whenever a celebrity dies now is, is that considered normal a lot of you know there are some people that think it seems a little unusual because we didn't actually know the uh, celebrity uh, face to face so to uh, mourn the death to some people may seem a, a little bit unusual but uh, a lot of experts uh, say that no you know uh, mourning a celebrity's death is actually very normal uh, one expert uh, by the name of Rachel O'Neill, who's a PhD and a clinical counselor in Ohio, uh, she's also a talk space provider, uh, she says that feeling grief after a celebrity's death is common because we form personal attachments to celebrities. Uh, she says even though we don't actually know the celebrities in person, uh, that they, uh, they play an important role in our lives. Uh, she goes on to say that uh, celebrities connect with us and even though we didn't personally know them their presence is still felt in our lives uh, she says that for example maybe the individual was an integral part of uh, our childhood in some way uh, maybe that celebrity was uh, your first crush or maybe they represented an ideal uh, something that you hoped you could be or perhaps the celebrity just even held a particular important memory in your life uh, for example, they might have started in a TV show that you watched while you were growing up. And, uh, you know, certainly in that case, the death, the death can feel like a loss that's a particular part of your past. Uh, also, it uh, doesn't matter that you didn't know the celebrity in person. She says that if you're experiencing grief, it's important to give yourself space to feel it. Uh, part of that, she says, might include watching an old movie or a TV show that the celebrity was uh, part of, or if they're a musician uh, replaying uh, one of their albums and listening to their music. Uh, she also goes on to say, too, that uh, some people find comfort in sharing their memories on social media and connecting with other users who are experiencing the same grief and loss. Uh, another expert by the name of Niraj Gandhatra 
uh, says that if you find a community of people grieving on social media, it's okay to uh, engage with them. Gandatra goes on to say that the loss of a celebrity and the grief that individuals experience provides an additional opportunity to uh, take inventory of their lives, uh, which whenever we encounter death is something that we tend to do. And uh, Gandatra also says that it's important to talk about your grief in uh, the communities and uh, also talk to your friends or family about how you're feeling as well, too. Um, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, so that's uh, certainly good to know that, you know, that, uh, you know, whenever a celebrity or, you know, maybe your favorite musician dies that, uh, feeling sad about it, it's not weird at all, too. Uh, I think, um, you know, like as I was mentioning with uh, Matthew Perry, you know, obviously it was very shocking and very sudden because of his uh, young age. Uh, but I think also, too, with uh, older celebrities, uh, such as uh, Suzanne Summers, uh, who was uh, 76, and Richard Mall, who was 80, uh, I, think, um, I think in a lot of cases we have a, a younger version of the uh, celebrity in our head. Like uh, a lot of us remember Suzanne Summers uh, from uh, Three's Company and uh, maybe some of us who aren't uh, quite as old or some of you who aren't quite as old remember her from uh, Step by Step in the uh, 1990s. And of course, we remember Richard Mall playing the uh, towering bull, the uh, the bailiff in the night court, who was you know always there to provide a lot of chuckles in the show. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think we definitely have this uh, memory, uh, like this uh, younger version in our head of these celebrities. And so when that uh, when they pass on, it certainly comes as a bit of a shock too. But, uh, you know, once again, too, you know, if you're feeling sad about uh, a celebrity death, you, you know, you know, whether it's Matthew Perry or Suzanne Summers or even somebody that uh, died a long time ago, it's uh, perfectly normal to feel that. Well, nowadays, it seems like just about everywhere you go, tipping is getting to be the norm wherever you go for uh, goods or services. Uh, it seems like it's uh, becoming a lot more prevalent nowadays, too. And uh, according to a recent report by the Pew Research Center, uh, tipping culture in America has seen quite a shift in recent years. 72% of Americans say that tipping is expected in more places than it was five years ago. There's even a word for it. It's called tipflation. And it's uh, not just places where full service is offered, but uh, also a lot of places where self-serve is the norm. Uh, it seems that uh, a lot of places where you go where you have to uh, serve yourself, uh, there's the option to tip as well, too. Uh, now, a user on a subreddit just uh, recently posted a picture of a self-checkout station at an airport that asked him if he would like to leave a tip, uh, to which another subredditor asked, tip who exactly? Uh, this unidentified airport isn't the only place giving customers the option to tip during self-service. According to a recent CBS San Diego report, several stores and restaurants that offer self-service have also prompted customers to tip even during self-checkout. And many people shared the same concern with the confused customers asking where exactly are their tips going to anyway if there's not a human employee there. Uh, while some uh, customers hope that these computerized tips are supporting workers, experts are saying that the uh, jury is still out on that. 
Wall Street uh, Journal consumer behavior reporter by the name of Rachel Wolf uh, also told CBS San Diego, uh, while the law requires that something called a tip has to go to employees, when you're tipping a machine, you can't be quite so sure that that's where it's going. In some cases, too, the option for no tip is harder to find on these terminals as well. Tipping has caused quite a controversy online. Many servers at restaurants make minimum wage, or in some cases a server's wage, which is even less than that. Uh, Some servers at restaurants also believe that if you can't tip, then you shouldn't eat out. Many customers, on the other hand, don't believe they should have to make up for the shortfall, and that a tip should be uh, earned for good service, and not just, just automatically expected either, too. DoorDash, the uh, food delivery service, has started warning customers on their app that uh, drivers can actually see the orders before they accept them and that orders with no tip included uh, may actually take a longer time to get delivered. Uh, Here's something else too. A uh, TikTok user by the name of Ania Mitch posted a short video online jokingly venting her frustration uh, with uh, frequent Amazon delivery customers on her route. Uh, She explained that uh, those who order every day or close to every day have a certain kind of bond with the delivery drivers and should be uh, putting out snacks for them. Uh, In a recent interview with BoardPanda.com, Ania explained that a lot of her customers actually do put out snacks. Uh, So when uh, she noticed how uh, some regulars went against this trend, she thought uh, maybe of putting a video online to uh, record the the event. Uh, Now she admits that the video was actually meant to be a lighthearted joke, but that didn't stop it from getting over 950,000 views and over 130,000 likes, and a whole lot of debate as well. Authorities in Colorado are trying to identify the owner of a peacock that was seen wandering a neighborhood and hanging out on the rooftops. The Lakewood Police Department said that animal control officers responded to the Copper Oaks neighborhood uh, based on a report of a loose peacock that had been seen flying up to the roofs of homes in the area. Uh, The police posted on their Facebook account, uh, can you help identify this colorful suspect? And they uh, showed a picture of the uh, winged creature. Over the weekend, they received calls of a suspect strutting around a neighborhood and even hanging out on a roof, according to the, uh, the Facebook post. The peacock was taken to the city's animal shelter while police attempt to find the bird's owner. And uh, apparently this is not the first time that this has happened. Uh, Back in uh, January 2018, Tamara Starr opened the door to her home in South Boulder, Colorado, and found herself face-to-face with two of the winged creatures. Uh, There, just outside her home in Shanahan Ridge, was a peacock and a peahen and all their uh, iridescent splendor. The peahen is a a girl, and I guess a a peacock is a a boy. Mm. Uh, Star said that her uh, cat, (laughs) in particular, had been uh, quite intrigued by the exotic birds. Yeah, I'll bet he has. Probably looked at those and probably thought, hmm, lunch. Probably Thanksgiving dinner, too. Uh, While the appearance of these uh, peafowl in South Boulder has caused quite a stir, it's interesting to note that uh, these sightings are actually somewhat common in uh, the state of Colorado, despite the fact that the birds, uh, which actually originated in Asia, are not actually considered uh, native to the state of Colorado. 
Now, taking a look at music news, according to a recent article in Rolling Stone magazine, the Guess Who founding members Burton Cummings and Randy Bachman have sued fellow original members Jim Cale and Gary Peterson, as well as the band itself, accusing them of misleading fans to believe that the current iteration of the group, which Bachman and Cummings have labeled as little more than a cover band, is the original Guess Who. In a federal suit filed in a Los Angeles court just recently, Bachman and Cummings allege that the current lineup, where Peterson is the only current member that was also part of the band's classic era, has used the band's name as well as photos of the original lineup and recordings that Bachman and Cummings performed on to give the false impression that the plaintiffs are performing as part of the cover band. They've taken mine and Randy's history, the history of the guess who, and stolen it to market their cheap ticket sales and their fake bullshit shows, Burton Cummings tells Rolling Stone magazine. It takes away from everybody's legitimacy. The counts listed in the suit are false advertising, unfair competition, and violation of right of publicity, and Cummings and Bachman are seeking as much as $20 million in damages. Bachman and Cummings say they've struggled with the problem for years, but that it has further escalated in the past two years since the pandemic ended and the band hit the road again. Bachman says that he and Cummings, who plotted a tour together before the pandemic in 2020, have wanted to tour as the Guess Who, but that dispute has made that impossible. Attorneys for Kale and Peterson did not immediately reply to a request for comment, but in a 2012 article in the Winnipeg Free Press, Kale said that Cummings signed off on the name in 1977, and he hasn't stopped his pissing and moaning ever since. What the hell do you think I was going to do? Start a scrapbook, Kale says? I gotta make a living. Kale also said that he'd give the name back to Cummings and Bachman if they paid him and Peterson, but he says, I'll have a band of trained monkeys out there just to piss him off, he said at the time. I'm prepared to be that petty. I'm really, really sick of it. I'd love to take the high road, but I'm not going to. I'm his karma. Dire Straits bassist John Ilsley admitted that the band still has no interest in reuniting despite many lucrative offers to do so. During a conversation with The Telegraph, Ilsley noted that he regularly gets together with the band's former manager. Every time we have lunch, he says to me, I wish people would stop offering me huge amounts of money to put Dire Straits back together. He says when you stop a machine like Dire Straits, there's a massive vacuum, admitting that transitioning to life without the band was actually a big adjustment. He says, you ask yourself if it was a good idea, and I had to keep telling myself that it was a good idea, because you're doing something else, completely different. I was in London studying painting, I got some lessons, I made a terrible mess for seven or eight years, and then I started doing art shows. I thought, okay, this is fun. Ilsley and frontman Mark Knopfler were the only two members to be in Dire Straits for the band's entire existence. The group officially called it quits in 1995, but, unlike so many other bandmate horror stories, the musicians have remained close friends. Looking back, Ilsley believes they ended Dire Straits at the right time. He says, I sort of knew that things were coming to an end, and I was pretty happy about that because we were exhausted. Mentally, physically, emotionally exhausted, he says. Still, during Dire Straits' heights, like during the hit song Sultans of Swing and the massively successful Money for Nothing, he says that was something to behold. He says, I can openly admit to you that I really enjoyed the success of the band. He says, I'm speaking for Mark as well. We both really enjoyed it. UltimateClassicRock.com takes a look at the 20 worst music videos. In the number 20 spot, Aerosmith and Pink 
they said while Aerosmith's quest for a constant reinvention is laudable, they noted that the body morphing special effects of the pink video leapfrog right past Ingenious and land squarely in creepy territory. Number 19, Alice Cooper and his uh, 1980 hit, Clones. Uh, that showed uh, Alice Cooper dabbling into uh, new wave music with his uh, Flush the Fashion album. Uh, they noted the uh, once-animated rocker uh, was actually in the throes of a uh, cocaine addiction at the time, and he looked and moved around rather uh, geriatrically in the uh, video. Number 18, Asia, Heat of the Moment. In the number 17 spot, the Beach Boys with their uh, 1988 comeback hit, Kokomo. Uh, this video was filmed at the then-new Grand Floridian Resort at Walt Disney World. Uh, they called it basically a feature-length hotel advertisement and tie-in for the dreadful Tom Cruise movie, Cocktail. They also noted that not even then heartthrob John Stamos could redeem the cynical brand activation masquerading as art. Number 16, Billy Squire, Rock Me Tonight. Actually, rather surprising that it's actually that far down on the list. That's probably number one on quite a few people's lists. Uh, according to UltimateClassicRock.com, watching Rock Me Tonight is kind of like being bald by a bear. He says, you know, in theory that it's going to be excruciating, but nothing can quite prepare you for the full-body horror that follows after you press play. And likewise, Billy Squire probably couldn't predict the career freefall that would ensue after he released this god-awful footage of him prancing around an army crawling across the bedroom in a pink tank top. <laughs> number 15, uh, Carly Simon, My New Boyfriend. Uh, number 14, David Bowie and Mick Jagger, Dancing in the Street. That was actually a, uh, a video that was uh, premiered back in 1985 uh, during the, uh, the Live Aid concert. Uh, UltimateClassicRock.com isn't very kind to that. They said that uh, Jagger and Bowie look like they're flailing around like two moms cleaning house on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, Huey Lewis and the News hip to be square. Uh, yeah, that was kind of a weird video there. It had one of those, uh, I think, endoscopy type of cameras where they like, it was kind of like a camera on a, uh, on a wire or something like that. And it showed them like uh, poking it in Huey Lewis's mouth. Great song nonetheless, though. Uh, John Mellencamp uh, in the number 12 spot, uh, actually he was known as John Cougar at the time with his uh, 1982 hit single, Hurt So Good. Uh, they said, nothing says man of the people like jumping on top of the bar at your local greasy spoon and grinding against some scantily clad women while wearing assless and crotchless chaps. Uh, the number 11 spot, that uh, belongs to Journey and uh, their Separate Ways, Worlds Apart, 1983 hit single. Uh, features the band members standing on a wharf, playing invisible instruments, essentially playing air instruments, and pulsating uncomfortably in front of a camera as a high-heeled woman walks by them. Apparently she dreams the video after falling to sleep while listening to the song, although the rest of us just have nightmares about it, according to UltimateClassicRock.com. Their words, not mine. Uh, once again, great song, not the greatest video.
Uh, number 10, Judas Priest, Hot Rockin'. Number 9 spot belongs to uh, Kiss and uh, Psycho Circus, their uh, comeback hit of sorts. Well, actually, they've kind of left and come back a few times there. Uh, the original Kiss lineup actually uh, reunited in the mid-1990s for uh, Psycho Circus. I thought it was the late 1990s, but whatever. And according to uh, UltimateClassicRock.com, they marked the occasion by releasing an instantly dated 3D video, which was full of giant skeletons and rocket ships, and it all had the elegance of a bargain bin Nintendo 64 game. The number eight spot belongs to Motley Crue, Looks That Kill. That was part of the early 80s hair metal uh, era, so, you know, enough said. Uh, number seven spot, Night Ranger, Four in the Morning. Number six uh, belongs to Queen, Body Language, their uh, 1982 dance hit. Uh, according to ultimateclassicrock.com, body language really wants to be a sexy video, but this fuzzy, too dark mess mostly just serves as a PSA against using commercial gym showers. Uh, the number five spot, Rush, Roll the Bones. And they said, uh, give credit where credit is due. The animated skeleton cop with a pink mohawk in the video is the perfect visual accompaniment to Getty Lee's rapping. Although they admit that's uh, not actually meant to be a, a compliment. In the number four spot, Starship, We Built This City. In the number three spot, Sticks, Music Time. I have to admit, uh, I actually kind of like this uh, video. It's actually a song that uh, didn't actually... Um, didn't peak very high on the charts. In fact, it was a top 40 hit that essentially uh, peaked at number 40. Uh, the video features conehead aliens as well as circus chimps and men dressed as dogs. And as I recall too, uh, Tommy Shaw actually didn't want to be part of the video either. He just made a very uh, brief uh, appearance in it for like about, I think, two or three uh, seconds. Uh, once again, uh, uh, one of actually one of my favorite songs by them and actually uh, kind of a, a fun video. Uh, two members of Styx would actually have uh, greater success uh, later on in uh, 1984. Dennis DeYoung of course would have his uh, big solo hit Desert Boon and uh, Tommy Shaw would also have a top 40 hit single with uh, Girls With Guns which was uh, actually uh, featured in a Miami Vice episode. In the number two spot, uh, Survivor, Eye of the Tiger. Now, as the theme song for Rocky III, Eye of the Tiger remains a genuinely inspiring pump-up anthem. Uh, but they're saying the same can't be said for the official video, which features far too many skinny ties, thick-rimmed glasses, as well as sweaty close-ups, and gold foil to inspire anything but second-hand embarrassment. Yeah, didn't, uh, actually, didn't they use a lot of foil in uh, the... Flock of Seagulls uh, video as well, too. I ran. I seem to recall that as well. And uh, the number one spot, uh, I really don't disagree with this one either. It's uh, U2 and uh, their uh, 1993 single, Numb. And admittedly, this isn't actually one of my favorite songs by them either. Uh, they said that Numb is exactly what you wish to be after watching The Edge have his face licked and caressed by feet for four consecutive minutes. Mm, can't disagree with that. And that'll just about do it for another episode. On behalf of myself, I'd like to thank you for joining me. If you'd like to drop me a line, just hit me up at pjpodcaster at gmail.com. I'm Paul Jeffries. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you again real soon.